Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Cadabra, I want to reach out and grab another episode of the Stick to Wrestling podcast, which is what you all are about to do right now. I'm John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling. Give us 60 minutes and perhaps indeed, we'll give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast before we get rolling with part two of the WWF, the summer of 1982 with Randy Smith. I want to encourage you to join our Facebook group. If you were part of our Facebook group a couple of weeks ago, you got to see a pay sheet from the Houston Summit, uh, May of 1980. You saw how much Tony Atlas made in one night. It was pretty staggering. Join the Facebook group. Also, follow me on Twitter. Just put in the name John McAdam and follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. Uh, we do this every season. The WWF 40 years ago today. Here we go. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go. Let, let's hear again. We'll hear from Playboy Buddy Rose. Then we'll hear from Bob Backlund. And then we'll hear from Captain Lou Albano uh, for review purposes only. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling... With Playboy Buddy Rose, and Mr. Rose with a rather unique lifestyle, no doubt of that. As we saw earlier on, Mr. Rose with um, a lifestyle that Arnold, Arnold Skolan, uh, the manager of World Wrestling Federation champion Bob Backlund, hardly agrees with. Bob Backlund himself takes exception to the fact that you, even, that you would even have the opportunity to become champion. Are you done talking or are you just coming up for air? I would like to say something right now. How do you think I got where I'm at? Do you think I got here just by forking out money to this guy and that guy? You've got to win your matches to get where you're at. And I am an undefeated professional wrestler, an athlete that is a human being on this world. And looking you people in the eye, I'm talking to you right now just as much as your heart is beating in your body. I am a man that has earned this right to face Bob Backlund. I did not get it the easy way as far as people are saying yes i've had a silver spoon but i have defeated opponents in that ring which you have seen on television week after week and if you would just like to look at it again the playboy i can promise you this is going to defeat bob Backlund. it's not going to be easy i know that but when we get down to the nitty-gritty in the big city in that squared circle when we're rolling around in that ring Backlund. Use all the strength you want because I'm going to outsmart you and all of a sudden you're going to be pinned or you're going to give up and you're going to say, what happened? And it's going to be that belt around my waist. But don't worry. Don't worry. I'll defend it against you again sometime, somewhere, or the next worthy opponent. I'm not no a chicken champion. No doubt on the West Coast. We Where thank you for your time. Say you can't be filthy rich and be world champion, too. <laughs> the Grand Wizard Playboy Buddy Ask Rose. Reggie Jackson. We thank you for your time. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you to comments that were made uh, by Bob Backlund as it relates to his title defense in Madison Square Garden. And on the 30th of August, I think we're going to see one of the most determined champions ever. So now let's take you back to comments made by champion Bob Backlund. 
you know, Vince, I'm very, very proud to have the WWF title around my waist, and I'm proud of all those people out there and uh, the young kids that uh, I represent and that, that follow me and uh, uh, look up to the champion. And uh, I look at this Buddy Rose, and I don't think he'd be the type of man that should have the WWF title around his waist. I don't think uh, I would want my child to look at him and say, geez, I want to be like that champion. I want He's had everything uh, turned over on, to him on a silver platter. His parents are very, very rich. He got everything the best. Uh, he didn't really have to go out there and fight for anything. I had to work on the farm all all day and uh, uh, train real, real hard and battle battle my way up to the top. And um, this man just it seemed like you know he's got all the women around him and everything. Uh, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just doesn't. I don't think it would fit in to see him the WWF champion. So by golly, I'm going to do all I can do to keep this right where I'm at. Rose on the other hand claims you don't have the class. He claims that what it's all about, that's, that's the way he acts, the way a champion should act. Well, Vince, if that's what a uh, champion should uh, act like, I don't. I must be wrong then. I must my, have my head in the wrong place, and a lot of those fans must be thinking wrong too because they've been good to me, and they support me, and uh, let's let those people out there decide uh, who they want to represent them. Uh, if Let's let them decide. Well, unfortunately, though, Bob Backlund's going to be decided in the ring, rustling-wise, and Playboy Buddy Rose thinks that he's the man that has your number. We'll find out in Madison Square Garden on the 30th. Well, those were comments about Backlund. If we may now, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be Manager Luis Albano, along with Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saido, joining forces with huge Black Jack Mulligan. And in a six-man tag team match, Lou Albano, you have to have so much continuity, as you well know. You have to yes, work I just know. like one cohesive unit, and many would say that Andre the Giant along with uh, his partners, the Strongbow Brothers, have an advantage. No, they don't because they don't have the continuity. Andre is basically an individual wrestler. Most of his matches have been done that way. But Black Jack Mulligan has been used to a three-man combat in that ring, a six-man combination of three and three. Uh, so I feel that Fuji, with the uh, being the, the master of, uh, of guidance in that ring and his intelligence and with the knowledge of martial arts from Mr. Saito, and then having this big six-foot-nine Black Jack Mulligan, who is one of a kind we've seen right here on TV when you, you actually X out what the man is capable of doing and we know what he can do with that that powerful fist the hand of his. He's proved it as a combined effort. I believe it's going to be devastating. I, I, I contemplate trouble. Of course, anytime Andre's in there, you've got to have trouble. Andre is the, the greatest athlete in the world today, alone. But as a combined effort, I believe he'll be confused. Uh, where do I begin? Are you done talking or are you just coming up for air? You should have seen the look on McMahon's face. <laughs> That, that was definitely improv right there. <laughs> yeah. I uh, rose once again, hitting it out of the park. I thought that was a fantastic interview. I think he's, he's a great heel. He, he, he did good in that interview there. Yeah. And you know, Bob Backlund talking about working on the farm. It's like you are Bob, you are not getting over with, with me and my teenage friends. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't get any of that. I mean, he, do you ever know when, when Bob Backlund talks, he, he has like take that he takes a breath like every five minutes he'll like do a deep inhale and then talk and I don't know if you picked up on that but he had kind of he he wasn't really good on the mic at all and the more he talked the more people didn't like him it, you know yeah. he talked about he you know he working on the farm and you know he had to work and. Then he rambles about how the he might be wrong and the people are. I, I think if you listen to the end of that, it kind of sounded like McMahon cut him off. 
Yeah, and when he says, "Well, Bob, it's going to be decided in the ring," <laughs> he 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 cut him off from talking. So, oh man, and Albano. I mean, you got to give the guy so much credit. Notice the interview he did previously, where he's screaming all over the place, and you know, and now he's just you know he he changes speeds quite well. He's just calm, cool, collected, Lou Albano, looking at things analytically, but it doesn't make any sense. Very articulate in in this interview compared to the other one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let me see. Now we have very rarely does Tony Gurria get a whole lot of mic time. Let's hear from Tony Gurria. Wrestler extraordinaire, Tony Gurria. Tony Gurria, notwithstanding your appearance coming up at Madison Square Garden, you have been all over the world, all over the lot, so to speak. And the Nassau County Coliseum, I understand you have a rather unique situation on Labor Day weekend. On Saturday, September 4, meeting Playboy Buddy Rose, and your contract was somewhat unique, as you were relating to us before the broadcast. It certainly was, Vincent. I, I didn't quite believe it. I didn't quite understand it. But on the contract, it read championship match. I couldn't understand it. When I looked further into it, I found out that Buddy Rose is being scheduled to wrestle Bob Backlund for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship on Monday, August the 30th. Now, if that isn't confidence, Vince, I don't know what is. I just don't know. I would hate to see Bob lose the belt. On the other hand, I would like Betty Rose to be wearing a belt when I step in with him at Nassau Coliseum. It would be a great opportunity for me, and I believe that it would be a six-day reign would be about enough for Buddy Rose. <laughs> well, Mr. Rose, very confident in his own skills, as you brought out. So confident, this is the first time, to my knowledge, ever that anyone has stipulated in a contract that it would be a title match. But nonetheless, be it title or not, you will be facing Playboy Buddy Rose. That's right. What is your estimation of his talents? Well, Vince, he, he's an excellent wrestler. He can move well, he's like 250 pound, maybe a little more, and he moves like a 150 pounder. He's up and down, he's all over the ring. He's full of surprises. I have watched his tapes and I'll be watching him even more as time gets closer to my belt with him in Nassau. I feel confident, but not overconfident. Thank you very much for joining us, Tony Garia. Okay, I really like what they did there. That is a really nice wrinkle they put in the mix by saying, hey, Six days later, Buddy Rose versus Tony Gurria might be for the WWF Championship. I never heard them do that before. That was unique. Yeah, I, I never. And as they said in the, in the interview, Vince is like, you know, no one's ever done this before. This guy's got so much confidence. And if I were, I don't remember watching that. Okay, I probably did, but I could see someone going, "Hey, wait a minute, is Buddy Rose winning the title on August 30th? Right. Yeah. So that, that's why I liked it. Now, I'll tell you what. We'll talk about the Boston Garden show that occurred on August 21st, 1982. But I remember the Saturday before this show, they aired an angle where Lou Albano went after Pedro Morales for like no apparent reason. Pedro puts Albano down like it's nothing, but then Jimmy Snooker comes in the ring, goes after Pedro Morales, and does the superfly splash onto Pedro, and Pedro gets stretchered out. Now, the timing was a little bit weird because it felt like Snooker was 
leaning towards his baby face turn, yet this airs. And I mean, Randy, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I do. I remember the whole I remember watching that on TV when it happened. All right. And I remember like my friends getting excited that, wow, you know, Pedro just got crushed and we like Snuka. And I'm like, wait a minute. Upcoming at the Boston Garden is the Bob Backlund versus Jimmy Snooker rematch, and Pedro Morales is the guest referee. So I'm not sure we're going to get a whole lot of impartial officiating from Pedro. But August 21st, 1982, we've got SD Jones over Jose Estrada, Johnny Rods over Pete Sanchez. Salvatore Belomo over Swede Hansen. So Swede's push is completely done. <laughs> this result made us all very sad. Tony Gurria defeats Bob Orton Jr. by disqualification. Like we, that's basically a neon sign. Bob Orton Jr. is on his way out. You know, when the wins stop happening and they start getting disqualified, yeah, that, that's usually at least. Maybe not necessarily on their way out, but any, you know, title shot or any kind of major, major push would be out the window at that point. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to check, but I think this was Bob Orton Jr.'s last Boston match during this run. Uh, let me see. Then we have the Strongbows over the Black Demon and Jose Estrada. Whether you like the Strongbows or not, that's kind of a waste of the of your top babyface tag team. Then we have Pedro Morales sub for Tony Atlas and Ivan Putski defeat uh, Fuji and Saito by DQ. I don't know what was going on with Tony Atlas here. Uh, Andre the Giant defeats Blackjack Mulligan by countout. And then we have Bob Backlund defeating Jimmy Snuka with Pedro Morales as the guest referee. And then Pedro did a fast count that had to be seen to be believed. It was like he turned three seconds into one second. I do. You know what? Going back to that angle again. I honestly thought that Pedro would be would roll out or there was I remember watching it more now that I'm thinking about it, because I remember I thought Pedro would get out of the way and I thought Snooka might miss the splash, which we never saw before. We never saw him miss that or, you know, something would happen there. I, I did not think he would actually hit Pedro with that, but he did. All right. Yeah. And like I said, he was, you know, he was in the middle of a baby face turn. And so the timing was off and especially being as, you know, we were going to see that match. But anyway, let's go back and hear some hear some more audio. We're going to be hearing from Lou Albano, Bob Backlund, Playboy Buddy Rose and the Grand Wizard. And then the, th the three man tag team of Andre the Giant, Chief J Strongbow and J Strongbow. This is all leading up to the August 30th, 1982 Madison Square Garden show. Monday night, August the 30th, Championship Wrestling returns to Madison Square Garden. Scheduled, ladies and gentlemen, very shortly on Monday night, August 30, in the air-conditioned Madison Square Garden, the mighty midget wrestlers, four of them, as a matter of fact, scheduled to compete in tag team action. In addition to that matchup, we shall see the likes of Cowboy Bob Orton meet dynamic wrestling great Pat Patterson. And on Monday night, August 30, two of the outstanding lady wrestlers on hand, along with the participants in the six-man tag team matchup. Andre the Giant, seven feet, four inches, 500 pounds of him, teams up with the brothers Strongbow, Jules and Jay, to face Mr. Fuji, Mr. Saido, their partner, giant-like Black Jack Mulligan. Notwithstanding the return encounter that has been ordered, Pedro Morales in the Intercontinental title defense to meet Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. 
with Ivan Butsky as the guest referee. That, of course, brings us to the participants in the main event. The World Wrestling Federation champion Bob Backlund to meet Playboy, Buddy Rose. But right now, our guest, Lou Albano in the Superfly. Mr. Albano? Well, you know, I've look, I'm really looking forward to this, Vince McMahon. They've, they've got Ivan Putsky as a special referee. Preferably, I did not want this, but I felt against all odds I would have to prove that truly the Superfly is the greatest wrestler in the world today. This is the stepping stone. This is the man that is right at the threshold as the most lucrative... I don't know what to say in his career. He's there. Pedro Morales knows he's been hurt in the previous encounters. He's been humiliated on TV. He's frustrated. He's running scared. Now, once again, before all the many, many fans of Pedro Morales in Madison Square Garden, he is destined to be humiliated, whipped, humbled, maimed, and crippled for life. Mr. Snooker, what about a comment from you, Mr. Morales? Thank you very much. You Thank you. Pedro Morales. The opponent of Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. Our guest now, World Wrestling Federation champion, Bob Backlund. As Mr. Backlund prepares for the event against Playboy Buddy Rose. And no doubt, there's no love loss between you and Mr. Rose. Yeah, Vince, you know, uh, it makes me a little bit angry the way he puts down the people in New York City, the way he puts down the working class people. Those are the kind of people that support professional wrestling, come down there and, and support me, and I really, really appreciate him. And, you know, I had a hard life coming up, too. I lived in the country in Minnesota, and uh, I can remember even we had, uh, we even had out outdoor plumbing, uh, Vince. Uh, so we, uh, we didn't, I didn't have it easy. It came slow, but uh, I'm on top of professional wrestling now, and I know what it's like to be uh, to be working hard and to be uh, living on the other side a little bit so I want to remain where I'm at and I appreciate those people out there Buddy Rhodes you can say bad things about me but don't say bad things about the wrestling fans knock me I'm the one you're going to be wrestling with against so let's get in there and find out who the better man is thank you very much champion Bob Backlund momentarily our guest the Grand Wizard, along with the number one contender, Playboy Buddy Rose himself. We can make this a lot simpler. Backlund, if you were smart, you would walk out here right now. You would give the belt to me and sign it over legally and just say, Rose, take the belt. It would be a little bit better than being embarrassed in front of all your lower class people, the people that back you up. Yes, they do back you up, but yes, they're going to be embarrassed just like you are, and they're going to wonder what happened. It'd just be better if you walked out right now and handed it to me. It's a lot not simpler. Not too likely to happen, you realize. I know he's not going to do it. I know he's going to go down in victory, to, to defeat, to the playboy. Victory is on my mind. Victory is what it's going to be, and the manager of champions will be able to celebrate with the playboy. I've got the best manager money can buy, and I only invest in the best, right? Absolutely correct, and I don't care about your precious fans, Bob Backlund. Let them crawl out of their roach-infested tenements and creep into their garden with their welfare checks. They're all the, that's all they have anyway. You can see it. He is your new champion, and he will defeat Backlund. You know what section the fans of mine sit in. The fans, the ones with the diamonds and the white gloves, <laughs> those are my fans. And the women with the nice dresses that are a 10 on a 1 to 10 scale. Backlund's the belt's going to be mine. I'm winning. I'm leaving with the belt. Mark my words. Playboy Buddy Rose. Our guest now, Andre the Giant, along with the brothers Strongbow, Jules and Jay, and on your right hand, Andre, a little present for Blackjack, no doubt. Yes, sir. Blackjack Mulligan, I think I don't give you enough. So that's why when my two friends told me you're going to be in that six-man tag, be, that was my pleasure to come back and to put this car on. 
You want me to try to no, put it No, thank you very much. We do not. Because he, he said, I don't know how to use it. We'll, we'll find out this Monday. No, thank you. All right, that was fun. Uh, Andre the Giant was putting his his uh, hand over he has blackjack bullion's glove on his hand and he's putting it over mcmahon's face and it's covering his entire face it was great <laughs> uh, another another classic there yeah and then uh the grand wizard saying some things that you just can't say on tv anymore wow uh, it was a different time period that, that's for sure when you hear that yeah, it was a uh, Playboy Buddy Rose escaping his gaffe, saying, you know, it, it, using the word victory instead of defeat and then saying, hey, I've got victory on my mind. That was beautiful. Rose is doing a phenomenal job here. He caught himself on that one. Yeah, yeah. He, he dropped the ball, but he picked it up. Exactly. That was a, a really good turnaround, I thought. Bob Backlund again with uh, I'm sorry. I, I I've I've always defended Bob Backlund's interviews by saying, hey, he's trying to do the same interview that Joe Montana or Tom Seaver or whoever else was doing. But it's even worse than that. He's just kind of mumbling into the microphone sometimes. And uh the back to the uh going back to the Albano one, uh Snooker was about to talk. That's where Albano cut him off and yelled at him. That that was the writing on the wall for the baby fizz turn coming up too. Yes, it was. And Albano, once again, doing another great interview, starting off all calm, cool, and collected. And 60 seconds later, he's out of control. I I mean, I did not appreciate him enough at the time. No one did. I mean, you you didn't realize we'd be looking at it, you know, 30, 40 years later, the way we do, but you don't appreciate it at the time. It was, no, I, it was I mean, a weekly were, thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were some wrestlers I, you know, who got on the stick and I absolutely love them, especially the guys in Georgia. But, you know, in WWF, I mean, I loved Adrian Adonis. I loved Jesse Ventura. It's just Albano, I guess. I was too used to him. Mm-hmm. Every All week. Right. Yeah. Every week he'd be there. Yeah, and you know, like I said, the guy knew how to change speeds. I, he was fantastic. All right, one more interview uh, before the August thirtieth, nineteen eighty-two Madison Square Garden show. Let's hear from the Super Pole, Ivan Putsky. On Saturday night, September four, the special holiday professional wrestling spectacular appearing at the Nassau County Coliseum of Long Island, and appearing there, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest. The Polish power himself, Ivan Putski. Take a look at this man. Putski, put together. Boy, I'll tell you, this is a Polish brick house. Ivan Putski meeting Cowboy Bob Orton at the Nassau County Coliseum. And Mr. Orton is no doubt a consummate wrestler. Not much in the physique department, but this man can wrestle with the best of them. He is. He's a good athlete, Vinny, and he's a good wrestler. But, you know, he has a tendency to stray to the left. You know what I'm talking about in that ring? When things get going rough, when he knows he's going down, he, he refers to his fists, anything he can to win. Well, I don't blame him. He wins at all costs. But I'll tell you what, Bob, I'm going to win at all costs, too. If you pull something on me, I'm going to do it right back to you. Because I tell you, Vinny, the Polish Army will be there, I guarantee you. Nassau, Long Island, it's been a while since I've been there, and I'm on my way. The Polish power, the Polish Army, and I'm ready. I've been working out, I'm in a condition, and I will be there. 
Best of luck to you, Ivan. Thank you. Ivan Putzke meeting Cowboy Bob Orton at, of course, the holiday wrestling card to take place on Saturday night, September 4, at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale. And joining Ivan Putzke and Cowboy Bob Orton on hand will be the likes of the Superfly himself, Jimmy Snooker, along with the World Wrestling Federation champion, Bob Backlund, Tony Garea, and many, many more. It should be indeed one of the great cards of professional wrestling as it heads just before school beginning. The last Saturday night blast. Saturday night, September 4, at the Nassau County Coliseum. Okay, Vince McMahon brings out his Quebec accent, the Polish Brick House. What was that? Polish Brick House. You got to love it. <laughs> and then right, uh, I like the I like the little bit slap, you know. Hey, you kids are going back to school, by the way, on Monday or Tuesday after the show. Yeah, I, that was always a horrible time of the year for me where it's like they're advertising stuff that's coming up in September when my summer vacation was would be over. It's like yeah. that means it's almost over. Yeah, bad time for a kid. Yep. Exactly. All right. Finally, the big show at Madison Square Garden, August 30th, 1982. Uh, 19,900 people saw this. So, I mean, WWF is doing great at this time. Uh, Tony Gurria pins Charlie Fulton. Killer Khan comes back for one night against Steve and defeats Steve Travis. Uh, Bob Orton Jr. defeats Pat Patterson by countout at 928. Tiger Mask. Versus Dynamite Kid, uh, it lasted all of six minutes and 34 seconds. But, Randy, what a riveting seven minutes. Have you seen this match? Long time ago. Uh, Okay. I I don't know if it – I have it on tape. I know I have it on tape. I don't know if it's on YouTube now or not, but, yeah, I remember the match. And you didn't – that was a treat. I mean, you didn't see anything like that. And, you know, like you said, it was only a seven-minute match, but, wow, your mouth is hanging open the whole time. Yeah, and, I mean, talk about the antithesis of a WWF match with, you know, slow-moving big guys. You have the best two junior heavyweights in the world from, from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They came out and just put on an unbelievable show. I mean, wow. Yeah, it, it was, you know... One thing to see that, then, you know, you have to kind of weird the way you have to change gears. After you watch a match like that, everything kind of, it doesn't have the same feel to it. I don't know. I'm really hard. I would close the match with something like that, you know, close the whole card with something like that. But back in those days, you couldn't really do that. You know, that had to be like one of the opening matches or, you know, somewhere in the middle. But, uh, Hard to follow a match like that. I mean, when when you got two guys that work like that for, even though it was only a seven-minute match, to follow that kind of match after you saw what you saw, you kind of have to mentally change gears a little bit to what you're looking at. And yeah, and look at what they followed up with. Jimmy Snuka and Pedro Morales go to a double disqualification. Uh, I have seen this match. It was not very good. That match, I don't. I don't recall that one. Again, I might have that one on tape, but I know the the Pedro Snuka matches weren't they didn't they didn't work too well together. They the two of them didn't 
they didn't gel well in the ring together. And I don't remember any of the matches they had being good. I, I They weren't. And you know what? I think WWF Jimmy Snuka was a little bit overrated because he had that spectacular finish where he jumped off the top rope and splashed the guy, you know, a few couple of times he jumped off the top of the cage. But aside from that move, I mean, he, he really wasn't that good. I'm sorry. He didn't have uh, he didn't have the technique. A lot of the guys had. I mean, like you said, everybody only loved Jimmy for one thing, the splash off the top rope, how he got, to you know from point a to point b to get the guy in the position to do the splash from the top rope no i i couldn't care less how you know nobody cared they only yeah. wanted to see the splash from the top rope they didn't they didn't care about the rest of the match exactly it was just a very plotting style next we have tatsumi fujinami making his final madison square garden appearance by defeating gino brito i'm not sure why you bring in brito from montreal if you're gonna have fujinami on the card i mean just have him against one of your other top heels i i looked at that on paper i mean wait i have no recollect i mean gino burrito i remember him you know, teaming with Dino Bravo in Canada in the late seventies, I think, or I don't know where, right. Yeah. I I don't know where he, you know, how they got him or why he was there. Uh, Same thing with how did they, I mean, killer Khan had been gone probably close to a year at this point. And then he shows up for one night. How did, how did that happen? I, I I like the backstory, how some of this stuff happened. Well, it, it looks to me like they brought in the guys from New Japan, and this might have been the last. As a matter of fact, I think it was the last time they brought in the New Japan guys. But I agree that Killer Khan is a questionable choice. I mean, why not bring in I don't know someone else? Uh, and you know, to to because now you're kind of confusing people a little bit. Like, okay, two years ago. Killer Khan had a match here against Bob Backlund. They worked his way out of the card. Then he left, and now he's just back here for one night. Mm-hmm. All right. So then we have Salvatore Belomo pins Swede Hansen in three and a half minutes. So, yes, Swede's push is over, although it says Fred Blassie was managing him on this night. So I guess there goes, there goes that formula of if he has a manager, at least he's getting a decent push. They they were probably I mean they I'm sure the two of them knew each other they they both go way back I'm, hey Fred you want to walk out with me tonight maybe something yeah, maybe. like that I mean it, you know could have been a personal favor but I don't recall him ever managing him on TV or anything oh not in 1982 in, in yeah. 79 80 yeah oh yeah yeah not in no toward the end of his career no nah, he he didn't have a manager. I mean, you know, good for Swede. I mean, he came in uh, after just, you know, I, I don't know where he got booked between 1980 and 1982. I don't remember uh, seeing him in the magazines. He was probably back in the Carolinas on the undercard. And Vince brings him in in 1982. And the guy keeps a job until like the end of 1985, early 1986. So good mm-hmm. for him. Uh, yeah, I, I remember him up until the mid 80s, uh, you know. The last time I ever remember seeing him, I think it might have been a match with Adrian Adonis, right when Adonis was carrying the briefcase, to, you know, in, in 85. That sounds was, about right. Yeah, which was kind of a, the whole beginning of the, the gay gimmick they, they threw on him. 
Yeah. But I mean, like I said, good for Swede. He, you know, he had yeah. a good job for, you know, three or four years after this. Bob Backlund defeats Buddy Rose via submission with the cross-faced chicken wing. This was a really good match, and I believe it is the only time Bob Backlund defeated someone at Madison Square. No, it wasn't. He beat superstar Billy Graham, too. But it was the first time uh, Bob Backlund had ever won by submission at Madison Square Garden. I can't even remember the last time a heel in the championship match submitted. Like, it never happened. It was rare. It was definitely rare. I mean, usually the heel had every excuse in the book after a loss and, you know, Rose loses cleanly, which says a lot about Playboy Buddy Rose. I mean, the guy was willing to do business and, you know, of course he had a good match against Bob Backlund. Mm -hmm. All right. And next up, women's match. Fabulous Moolah defeats Penny Mitchell. And then in the finale, Andre the Giant and the Strongbows defeat Blackjack Mulligan, Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito. Two out of three falls. This was not exactly Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. No, far from it. But uh, people, you know, even back then, people were still fascinated with Andre. Any Anytime Andre would be on the card, you know, you wanted to see him, you'd pay to see him. You, you could book Andre with anything, you know, tag match, a single match. It didn't matter. If Andre were on the card, people wanted to be there. And, and this isn't a knock on Buddy Rose, but like if you have Bob Backlund against a challenger like Buddy Rose in the main event, you have to decorate the card with something like Andre the Giant. Yeah, it's a nice little you know cherry on top when you yeah, have I'm, when you I mean, have that. Yeah, but I mean, Rose just wasn't a Stan Hansen, Don Morocco level challenger. You know, you had to put something else on that card, and they did. It was a smart thing. Yeah. And you were mentioning, you know, going back to, you know, the whole Bob Backlund thing. I mean, in 82, even though he wasn't popular the way he used to be anymore, Bob Backlund was still probably the best technical wrestler around. Oh, yeah. I often wonder, you know, if you took a guy, we were talking about how bad Mighty Joe Thunder was. How would Backlund have handled Mighty Joe Thunder if the two of them had a match? Could oh boy! He, could he even have? Could he even have handled that? I mean, it, it, so uh, you have to you have to watch Mighty Joe Thunder. To, I mean, he couldn't do anything. I mean, what what could even for as good as Backlund was, what could he have done against a guy who couldn't do anything like that? Bob Backlund was the kind of guy where if he had a good opponent, he would usually get a good match out of him. But if it was if he if the opponent wasn't there. Bob Backlund was not a Ric Flair type who could, you know, get a three-star match out of a broomstick right. or a four-star match out of Nikita Koloff. You know, if Bob Backlund got hit with an Angelo Mosca or someone like that, you were not getting it. Typically, we're not getting right. a good match. Yeah, but I remember a lot of the matches that uh, I believe the year prior that that Backlund and Morocco had, uh, they were fantastic. But then again, you know, Morocco could work. Morocco was a, a great worker too, but yeah, Morocco was just coming into his own in '81. Yep. So now, okay, so now we're out of the Madison Square Garden show. What's coming up in September? We have two. Well, we have the return of Ray the Crippler Stevens, managed by Fred Blassie, at least at first. 
Randy, you, you were a fan watching. What were your impressions of Ray Stevens in 1982? Again, he he was a guy I had only read about. I knew he'd been around a long time. I only read about him when I first saw him. It was like, uh, okay, uh, he's okay, I guess. I didn't see him playing the part that he played in the whole snooker turn, but not really impressed him. I mean, even the pile driver didn't even, it didn't look good to me. I mean, it, it didn't, uh, you could tell he was definitely a guy whose better days were behind him. Put it that way. I saw Ray Stevens in Georgia in late 1981 and it never, I never said, okay, this guy's old. A year later, he's in the WWF, and I'm like, okay, he looks like a pudgy old guy now. I don't know what aged him so much in just a year. In, <laughs> in my that one-year period. Something happened in that one-year period there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, knowing the way Ray Stevens lived, I mean, he was kind of a wild man. Like, you know, it's not like one thing happened in this one year, but, I mean, I he debuted in the WWF, and I, I was fine with him in Georgia, but WWF, I'm like, okay, this is kind of a pudgy old guy. Uh, but we also have another debut. Uh, Rocky Johnson makes his WWF debut, a big star in the 1970s, a, a top contender for the NWA championship. Thus far, the 80s had not been particularly kind to Rocky Johnson. He was wrestling under a mask in the Mid-Atlantic area for whatever reason. And then he went out to Portland, where he was a top star. But again, big fish, small pond. And now he's in the WWF. And I'm excited to see this guy. I'd never seen him before. I saw, in my eyes, he was a big star. And no, to me, even though I, he was older, I think he was in his early 40s, he, he didn't come across that way to me at all. No. And one thing about Rocky, too, he had charisma. He really yes. did. He, he had a lot of charisma. I would say nobody had as much courage, you know, till Hogan came in 84. Rocky Johnson had charisma. He really did. Uh, you were mentioning he, he, I think he was Sweet Ebony Diamond or something yes. like that. that yeah. Uh, again, I had only read about him, never saw him before. Uh, but when I, when I saw him, I, I liked watching him. He had, you know, like I said, he had charisma and you didn't see that that much back in the day. You didn't. And, you know, Rocky, he he was never a great worker, but he could. And I, but I never noticed because he could do something. He could he do made that it look good. He, he yes. wasn't a great worker, but he could make it. He made it look good. He made himself look good. And he made even, you know, even if it wasn't a good match. He made himself look good in the match. And yeah, Rocky was great. And I think we talked about it before. When when Rocky left in 84, I really wish he would have had a shot in, in Crockett. I wish he Same would have here. went to Crockett. And, you know, especially the whole 1985, 86. They could have played him so great in Crockett promotions in the NWA. I really wish Rocky would have ended up there. I, I do too. As a matter of fact, at the time we were discussing like, you know, 85 Crockett, 86 Crockett, 
I was openly wondering why they weren't bringing in Rocky Johnson. Where was Rocky Johnson? You know, I, I didn't know how old he was, but he was. I felt like he was too young to have retired, and he wasn't in the WWF. So, I mean, as Vince McMahon would say, conspicuous by his absence in JCA. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't really, uh, like you said, that that's kind of a missing period for him. I don't really remember anything from the time he left the WWF till he worked in Memphis in '87. I think it was. You know, there's like a three year period there. Yeah, and you know, again, when he's in Memphis, I'm like, all right, the guy obviously wants to wrestle. If he's wrestling yeah. here, he'd certainly be willing to move up to the bigger money in JCP, and it just didn't happen. You figure Memphis was probably paying him $40 per show and a cheeseburger. He, I mean, he would have definitely worked out in Crockett. They, they should have, something should have happened there with him and Crockett. Yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. like he had some sort of heat with Crockett or some kind of heat with Dusty. You never know what these guys, it, but it could be, yeah. I still, you, you, you work things out. All right, right now, one thing I noticed right around this time, late summer 1982, I had no idea the WWF was had changed management, as it were, because Vince Jr. is now running the show. But they're doing little things that make the promotion feel a little bit different and maybe a little bit more modernized. Like they switched from the silver ropes to red, white, and blue ropes. Uh, they had different graphics, new opening uh, music they had the wrestler's name on the screen it used to be like they'd announce steve king and that would be the end of it now steve king's name is on your television and, and the opening montage was no longer just a tribute to bob backland it was various wrestlers with bob backland at the end and i think you know if you're a little bit suspicious you might be like okay they're phasing backland out i i think they just upgraded things yeah, they did. I, I remember that montage, the, the beginning montage, and the nothing but the Bob Backlund Larry Sharp match. Pretty Boy Larry Sharp and Bob Backlund, the whole beginning. Um, and a little bit of Mr. Fuji from 1978. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and. That went away and I, I at the time, and I still don't think that was like a hint towards anything. They were just upgrading. Right. Yeah, I mean, they had to. Every promotion did that. I mean, you watch any promotion, they never had just one guy in the whole opening montage of that promotion. Nope. They would show the different guys, you know, within the promotion. And they'd even change it up, you know, when a guy, especially like Mid-South, you know, when a guy left, they didn't show him in the beginning anymore. They would cut him out and add somebody else in there. And Yeah, you, you kind of had to do that where we're at now because the whole thing wasn't about Bob Backlund anymore. You know, one thing too, we were, we were talking about JCP when JCP got that spot in 1985, they were still using the old montage of the only wrestlers. They had like Paul Orndorff and, and Butch Reed on there and they yeah. weren't exactly wrestling for JCP. <laughs> Not for a while. They weren't No. No. All right. Randy, a big angle. Just kind of wrap this up. You know what? I'll hold off on that. We have a very important debut. Buddy Rogers returns to the World Wrestling Federation after almost 20 years. And he now has a segment called Buddy Rogers Corner. 
I liked Buddy Rogers, but I, I immediately I'm like, he's just not very good at this job. I, I think you said they brought him in mainly as a role to babysit Jimmy Snuka and you know put put the guy on camera and he couldn't very well work in the ring anymore. Give him a segment like that. He he didn't have a skill on the mic that he should have had, but I think he had people knew him. People knew who he was and people people just watched it because they knew who he was and they you know, they took it for what it was. That the whole thing, the only thing I really remember around Rogers Corner is that was where the angle took place where Snooker turned babyface when Albano and Blassie and Rose Stevens packed him. It almost felt like the segment was created. I'm going back to like September, October, 1982 here. It almost felt like the segment was created just so that Buddy Rogers could be part of the Jimmy Snuka turn. Like as soon as he came out there, he started talking about how Jimmy, how he thought Jimmy Snuka was the best wrestler in the world. Right. And then he, you know, how Lou Albano was feeling the money and everything like that. Like he had all this inside information on Jimmy Snuka. Yeah, that's why they brought him in there. Yeah. And you just could feel it. Like Buddy Rogers came in immediately. He starts talking up Jimmy Snuka and it's like, okay, even as a 17 year old, I kind of quickly figured out that we have a turn coming up and coming up soon. Now let's talk about the big angle. Superstar Billy Graham has returned to the WWF. Uh, Bob Backlund is wrestling Swede Hansen on television. And Hansen, you know, he's a decent TV opponent for Backlund. And superstar Billy Graham out of nowhere comes out and he grabs the WWF championship belt, getting Bob Backlund's attention. But Swede Hansen's, you know, not letting him go. And Graham comes over to the desk and he says, if I can't have this belt, no one can have it. And he proceeds to destroy the WWF championship belt. Doesn't do a real good job destroying it, at least at first. He can barely get the, the top front plate. He couldn't get the front plate. No, he couldn't. That, belt. That, that belt was well put together. That, that was a very <laughs> well-constructed belt because he could not... He couldn't. He couldn't rip that thing apart. He couldn't do anything. And you got to figure too. I mean, that's like you know, that's leather. You're not going to tear leather. And you know, even ripping the plate off the belt, uh, you thought it would be a little bit easier than that. But apparently, that thing was riveted on there pretty tight. He couldn't do much <laughs> with it. And then he eventually ended up, you know, slamming it on the ground and everything. And uh, he destroyed it enough to make Bob Backlund cry. Yes, let's talk about that. Bob Backlund we'll talk goes about on that. Buddy, we'll talk about Buddy that. Rogers' corner, and uh, somehow the belt is now destroyed. It's like all kinds of little pieces that you know we didn't <laughs> see superstar Billy Graham do it to. And Bob Backlund, uh, you had to be there. The guy went out and cr- and committed career suicide on TV by being on Buddy Rogers' corner week i i want to say a week after the event and he is still sobbing yeah like uh, it, it was insane and i mean we you know if you thought people felt like bob backland was uncool before that now we've got jimmy snooker rising in popularity and bob backland pulls off this stunt randy how did it go over with you 
That was, without a doubt, the final nail in the coffin that Bob Backlund had as a credible champion. Because when you go out and you're, you're, you know, the world champion and you just start crying because somebody <laughs> broke your belt. <laughs> it, it, it did. I mean, yeah, that, that was totally that. And I think that was around the time he shaved his head too. When he that got the, com- when he got the crew cut. Yeah. Uh, it, he, he just, you know, and then he put the singlet on it. It, it was, you know, a downhill fall. This was where he fell at the top of the hill, but he kept rolling down the hill and he couldn't stop from this point because when you went out there and, and he cried when, you know, my grandmother was blind and she, I, I forget what, you know, oh, why, why? It, it was unbelievable. It was such bad acting too. I mean, not I mean- only, not only were, were they making him, you know, a pathetic champion by doing this. It was bad acting on top of it. Here's the thing. When we say Bob Backlund was crying, I could see Bob going out there with like a tear in his eye and saying, you know what? I won this title from superstar Billy Graham four years ago. And instead of just him trying to win it back, he does this. And this belt meant a lot to me. And, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to say goodbye to it. That's one thing, okay? He's out there, my grandmother, and uh, it was horrible. And, of course, everyone hated him after that. Yeah, it was uh, completely the end of him. That that was totally the end. I don't know if he (laughs) – I don't think he intentionally wanted that to be, you know, the career suicide that it was. But if you were trying to destroy your own career, that would have been the way to do it. He wrote the book on it right there. I can only imagine. I mean, you know, then again, I was going to say, I I can only imagine what Vince McMahon was thinking as as Bob Backlund was doing this. But then again, he's got creative control now. He doesn't have to air it. He can reshoot the thing. Say, Bob, no, this is going to kill you. And I, I don't know what he was thinking, but you had mentioned the thing about the grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. Where I remember us once again watching it, my my friend's ba- uh, finished basement, and he's like, the old, Bob Backlund says, the only way my grandmother knew I was champion was when she felt this belt, when she because she's blind. I'm sorry. My grandmother is blind, and yep. the only way she knows I'm champion was by holding this belt, and now it's gone. And like magic, one of my friends yells out, was she deaf too? (laughs) So now we're laughing at the segment because this guy pointed out how crazy it was. And, you know, for a younger person who might be listening to this, who, who didn't experience it, it was, it was career suicide. Bob Backlund was already, you know, I think heading downhill but i mean this was just off a cliff this was yeah and, and i remember going to the boston garden and people were laughing at him yeah it, he you know you talk about like you know jumping the shark or point of no return whatever you want to call it he hit it here there was Good no way. no coming back nothing he could have done you know with the exception of some kind of monster heel turn could have brought him back from where he was at yeah 
It was it was absolutely just a, a, just an insane thing to see. All right, one last thing before we wrap up this two part episode of Stick to Wrestling, uh, we have wrestling at the Philadelphia Spectrum September eighteenth, nineteen eighty two. So the very end of the summer, where we have uh, the main event is Bob Backlund against Jimmy Snuka with SD Jones referee. And I, I have this match. I don't know if it was available on YouTube, but Jimmy Snuka completely turns baby face during this match. And Bob Backlund, you know, they wrestled a baby face style. Snuka did not try to cheat. And Snuka shook Backlund's hand after the match. The fans were cheering Snuka during the match, but like came unglued when that happened. And mm-hmm. then he shakes Arnold Skolan's hand. So, Jimmy has basically turned uh, babyface, at least in Philadelphia. We all know it's coming. And that was the one where uh, Backlund put the towel. He gave him, he gave Snook his towel at the end of the yes. match, too. Yeah. I remember that. I think I have that one on tape, too. I, I actually taped that one. All right, so we have gone in about two short months from Jimmy Snuka trying to kill Bob Backlund in the cage at Madison Square Garden to these two being pals in Philadelphia. Uh, One last thing, we had a match scheduled. It was supposed to be Andre the Giant, Chief J, and Jules Strongbow versus Mr. Fuji, Mr. Saito, and Mighty Joe Thunder. And we have Blackjack Mulligan subbing for Mighty Joe Thunder. I had not known this until I started researching the show that they actually had Mighty Joe Thunder scheduled for an important match. Well, that shows that they had him planned. I mean, they, you know, like you had mentioned before, too, he, he originally might have been part of the Snooker turn. They had plans for him when they brought him in. And after that first night, they, you know, they saw they weren't going to be able to do anything with him. And they, you know, told him to go home. I can't imagine what Vince McMahon was thinking. I mean, obviously, he's under a lot of pressure. You know, okay, this is my baby now. I know the Snooker turns coming up. Let's take this guy who hasn't wrestled since the 60s, is probably (laughs) 50-something and looks every minute of it, and I'm going to make him an important part of the Jimmy Snooker turn. Like, where does this come from? (laughs) I don't know. Instead, they took another old guy like Ray Stevens and made him part of it. So go figure (laughs) I'm I'm almost positive the Ray Stevens thing was was done on the fly. Yeah, that that worked out a lot better than Mighty Joe Thunder would have. I, I guarantee you that. <laughs> ah, I would. I will I, almost guarantee that as well, I, Randy. I want to thank you for taking the time and sharing your memories and and being on Stick to Wrestling for the past two weeks. It's a pleasure as always, and you were a great guest as always. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. And I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Brian Lass for giving me this podium, as it were. And I want to thank uh, Luke Hippelman for all the great work he does. Believe me, he makes this show sound a lot better uh, when it comes out than when it's being recorded. And we're very grateful. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. This concludes our podcast day. Thank you.